Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So thanks for everybody that reached out after last week's episode. It seemed to be a popular one, and I think one that apparently a lot of folks have been wrestling with as well. How, What is a good feeding schedule? Should we have a feeding schedule? When should you feed your spiders? And a lot of folks chimed in with their experiences with it, which is great because that's the whole point of doing these things. I think that's the fun part for me is hearing what other people find as well and what their experiences are because that helps to inform how I keep. And it seems like a lot of us are in the same boat, especially folks who have been in it for a while. Now, I did hear back from Charlotte, and I felt bad because after I did this one, I wasn't trying to knock anything. I just like when somebody comes at me with an intelligent argument that falls in line very much with a lot of what I believe. But then I like to break it down and look at both sides of it. So she did say she wasn't saying at all that folks should not have a feeding schedule when it comes to feeding their tarantulas, but just that there's sometimes better ways to do it. And the fact that when folks, and I agree with this 100%, and I think this is what I hope I broke down fairly well in the last podcast, is the fact that, yes, you can check them. Having a maintenance schedule is important. I think having a maintenance schedule that coincides with your feeding schedule can be helpful because then you don't forget anything. But if you're doing less, I, honestly, you should be checking out everything at least once a week or so. You're opening it up. You're airing things out. You're doing cleaning out boluses, checking water dishes, and checking to see if the spider needs to be fed. So, And I'm not saying they should be fed once a week. I think for a lot of us, just checking on them kind of gives us... I have ones where I will open up, like, so the other day I was doing feeding, and it was funny because I had this in my mind because I had just done it, and I opened up a couple enclosures, saw the spider was about to throw a cricket in, I was like, you know what, the spider's fat enough, and I passed. So I think that's what she was saying. There's better things to do than say, all right, I feed every week regardless of the size of the spider. Everybody's getting fed. I think that's where a lot of us gravitate towards as far as our own feeding schedules I think for some what ends up happening and it's it's kind of a double-edged sword I think for some what ends up happening is they get so many spiders that they have an ambitious feeding schedule to begin with and they realize there is no way to keep that ambitious feeding schedule with the amount of spiders they have probably quickly amassed and I've heard from many people over the years that are freaking out I want to feed them once a week but I now have 75 spiders it takes so long I've got a lot going on at work don't worry about it that kind of helps us it's one of the positives of getting so many of them so quickly is the fact that you're kind of forced to adjust and I think in the long run that's a better thing but what she was saying is for folks you can't just open it up and I agree 100% with this you shouldn't be opening up the enclosure going wow that spider is super fat here's a couple more crickets because it's leading and that was something that took me a while to get the hang of because again for those out there that feel hey they can't be overfed you, the thought process is they will know when they need to stop eating. And I think that's true to a point, but I also, like I mentioned, is one of my examples in the earlier podcast was, is the fact that some of them will be so fat. So for example, I have a Theraphosa species right now, Theraphosa blondi, that is fat, ready to, it looks like she's ready to molt, but I, I'm positive that if I dropped a cricket or a roach in there right now, she would eat, which would be, if she ate it, it would be enough to put her over the top. She would be rather extra chubby, if that makes sense. So I, I agree. I think we're on the same page with this. I, I, it's all about finding better ways to do things. And I think that's why a lot of us change what we do. I struggle where this becomes an issue with me. And one of the reasons why I wanted to cover this topic is because obviously I do a lot of husbandry videos and I have a little burb I put up there about feeding schedules. And my thing is usually trying to explain to people, at least I thought this is, or think this is how it's coming across. Don't freak out. They don't need to be fed super often. Slings once a week. And that's more just, you can check on and make sure you get them on that sling stage. 
Juveniles, once they put on some size, every couple weeks you can do once a month. Adults, I think I've told people, I've some of them are every two weeks. Now it's more like once a month. And I know this because once a month I get my order of crickets. I feed everybody. I just did my feeding this week. It took me, let's see, I got the crickets on Monday afternoon. Yesterday I fed, finished feeding the last batch of them. So everybody's had a good feeding that needs food. And then after that, what I do for the next month is I spot feed the ones that have just molted that are a little thin. So for example, both of my pieces Letheria subfusca highland and lowland have molted and they are quite thin so I'm feeding them a little bit more to get them up to what I feel like is a comfortable size and then you can back off and that's another way to feed I've had folks that say hey I fatten them up really quick and then I ease off and then I wait till I see they look like they're losing a little size and then I feed them again whatever and this is where the pick a schedule that works for you it doesn't mean I guess it should be pick a schedule that works for the spider but one of the things that came out and again something Charlotte responded back with is that it seems very simple to just go, if the abdomen is this size, then you should be feeding it. If, it's, if the abdomen is the same size as the carapace, then leave it alone. Something along with those rules. And it sounds very easy to us, but people don't trust information. And that's what the main topic of our podcast is going to be. So I'm going to defer going into that further until we get into that portion of the podcast. But I appreciate Charlotte coming back again. I never liked it. I love getting comments from folks to allow me, especially ones that folks are articulate and have experience and know what they're talking about. It allows us to break down these topics even more than we normally we would really get into those little nooks and crannies that sometimes get overlooked or glossed over when you're looking at big picture discussions like like feeding schedules. So I do think there's a lot of room. I do. My big, again, my big thing is when you're feeding them, check out the size, try to figure out if they need to be fed or not. If they don't, if they look like they're in good shape, pass them over for a bit. And I, I agree. That's something that I've definitely evolved with in the hobby is my feeding schedule. It's what I articulated last time, so we won't get big into that. But uh, I think it's something that we need to start considering more often with folks that are just getting into the hobby or even folks that have been in for a while. Like what benefits, I know what benefits us. We'd feed them all, all the time if we could just because they're so much fun to feed and that's our big moment of interaction with them. But is that really best for the spider? And we did get a couple comments on Spotify about this one. First one's from Jess's Tease. I've been keeping a while, but this was still really helpful. Scheduled feeding is also helpful for fossorials. I can go a long time without seeing some of mine, so that's how I keep track. I'm glad that came up. It was in my notes for last week, and I don't think I hit it, and I had several folks ask me about, hey, what do you do for fossorial species? Because the problem is, you don't see them nearly as much, or you can't really tell how big their abdomens are. And I've had moments where all of a sudden, I've caught a fossorial out and went, oh my lord, this thing is skinny as heck. It must have just molted, but I had no idea. This just happened with my H. gigas, one of my females molted. I went to do her maintenance, took her enclosure out, put on my table, popped the top. She was sitting right on top and she was super thin. And when I say she had molted, I didn't know she had molted because she didn't drag her molt out. As I was, after I fed her and she was scarfing up crickets and I changed her water dish, I looked and I saw just the slightest piece of a molt that had been ripped up that I hadn't noticed before. So there was a situation where if I had waited another month, she would have been very, very, very thin. Now, somebody else chimed in about the fossorials before I get into those for a minute. Uh, this was from Megan, really interesting podcast. I agree with feeding as needed, but it got me thinking. How do you know when the feed, if you have a tea who always stays hidden in its burrow, you can never see it out. So that was another one pointing to that. And then we have one by Kyle Guthrie. I have cut down on feeding my teas as well. I've noticed my fossorials will come out of their burrows more. Terrestrials tend to be a little more spunky and my arboreals are out 
more as well. And this is something, if anybody's ever been on Mike's basic tarantulas, if you've ever read care instructions or his, his care stuff for a fossorial species, he has something in there. I can't remember the exact quote, probably should have looked up, but it's along the lines of, I don't feed my fossorials as much or overfeed them because I tend to see them hanging out in the front of their burrows a little more often. And that's true. My issue is even the ones I haven't. So for example, I have my Selenocosmia crassipes that for years I barely saw her. And when I did, it was only the front of her feet. So I couldn't see her abdomen to see when she had molted. And she's one of the ones that never seemed to drag her molt out. So she molted once. I had no idea. And eventually I caught her out in the open and was like, wow, she's really thin, just like the H gigas I mentioned before. That can be an issue, and I think that's where having a schedule sometimes helps, only to make sure that you're not forgetting about those guys, and only because it's difficult to tell if you should stop feeding a spider because it's too fat if you never see the spider. And I'll use my uh, myself as an example. I recently, well, not so recently, about two years ago, a year and a half ago, got a bunch of Ephibibus species. I've been raising up the four different species of them. I'm loving them, but... I rarely see them out enough to get a good look at their booties or their abdomens to know if they need to be fed. And that was getting to be an issue because it was sometimes I would open up the enclosure and couldn't see the spider, couldn't see how big its abdomen was, wasn't sure what to drop in, wasn't sure what size to drop in. That's something that can become an issue. And I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that where you have a spider, you think it molted, you're guessing, oh, this thing's probably about two inches. You drop in a cricket or a roach. You actually see the spider and realize that the prey item you dropped in was way too big for it because it wasn't as big as you thought. That can be an issue as well. So I do think fossorials can be a little bit trickier. Yes, if you don't feed them as much, you will have a better shot at seeing them. The other thing I've started doing, and this works with my Ephibibus as well, I actually did it last night to kind of get a bead on who's, you know, who needs to eat, who doesn't. I came up with a flashlight about two hours after I turned the lights off. I did an early lights out uh, last night. Came up with a flashlight, signed it, uh, shined it in there, and was able to see that one of my Muranus definitely doesn't need a lot of food right now. Quite chubby. One of my Rufusins, again, quite chubby. I had no idea. I went to feed him the other day. I kind of dropped crickets in. had no idea. So that can be something that can be tricky, and that's where I think a lot of us do... The do like to have some type of system, some type of schedule for feeding to make sure that these guys are getting food that we're not sure how big they are, if they need to eat or not. But yes, not feeding them as much. That's a, another good argument in by way of not overfeeding them, because if you're dropping in crickets every single day with these guys, they're going to fatten up very quickly and you're not going to ever see the thing because it's not going to come out to eat. So is feeding a perfect science? It's the exact opposite of a perfect science. There are so many variables, so many things to take into consideration, the setups, the temperatures, the feeding schedules, how do you feed the ones you can't see? I mean, there's so much in there. I think we just do the best we can, but I do think that as more of us spend more time in the hobby, we do find these little tips and tricks to make it easier. And we recognize the fact that, you know what, sometimes as much as it's fun to feed them, sometimes feeding them Every time we get the chance just so that we can get video of them or so that we can show them off to friends or so we can just enjoy interacting in some way with these animals that we spend a lot of time keeping and caring for, maybe that's not the best way to do it. So moving on, as we said, one of the things we're going to be talking about going ahead is the fact that although we can spell out, hey, you know what, if the abdomen is the same size of carapace it doesn't need to eat sounds like a very simple way to measure it, sounds like a very simple thing for somebody even new to the hobby to follow, but 
it's not the case. Folks that are new to the hobby struggle. And, and today I was going to name this one. I don't know what I'm going to call it. One of the things is when I do these podcasts, I'm always struggling to find a name for it. Sometimes I think I have a name. I get into the podcast going, nah, it's a little too dark. It was originally going to be the biggest problem with the tarantula hobby. And I do think this is a huge problem. And what kind of brought this up is I realized that in April, we will be hitting the 10th anniversary of Tom's Big Spiders. It blew my mind. I think I referred to this before, but it didn't sink in, that I've been doing this for 10 years, almost more than 20% of my life, which is pretty amazing to me because I've done a lot of things over the years, had a lot of hobbies, a lot of things I got into. It's not that I ever put a an expiration date on them, but usually around 10 years or so, I'm, I've moved on to something else, but I'm still doing it, still enjoying it for the most part. However... It got me thinking because when I really first got serious into this, and as I've explained the story before, I think I did it recently, it started off as kind of a joke, but then I started getting people that were coming to the website asking questions and the teacher mode kicked in and I'm like, I need to take this more seriously. And any good teacher will tell you, any good teacher should be able to tell you that when they teach at the beginning of the year, they have goals for what they want the students to learn. Are there teachers out there who don't do this? Yes, there are. I work with some. It's it's confounding. It's irritating. It's like they roll out the same thing they've done for the last 25 years. And they don't, if a kid fails, the kid fails. It's their fault. They don't see it as a challenge that, hey, how many, I have a classroom here of 25 kids. I don't have classes this big, but if I have a classroom of 25 kids, how am I going to reach each and every single one of those kids and make sure that each one of them comes in at this level and leaves a couple higher levels. How do we level them up? And I think a lot of them, unfortunately, don't do this. But a good teacher should sit down and go, what is my goal? And my goal with the Tom's Big Spider stuff was I, I never really thought I would be the biggest. It never occurred to me that it, things would take off the way they did, and nor have they. I'm not the biggest. I'll say that flat out. However, I did, in my mind, the whole point of this was in, in some way I wanted to my material to serve as the unofficial, for lack of a better title, an unofficial idiot's guide to raising tarantulas. Meaning, I wanted to be the one people could go to and go, this is the simplest way I've seen it presented. Everything is spelled out for me. And now I understand how to keep these animals correctly. I don't need to wade through all of the BS that's out there, all of the misinformation. And I can just go here. And obviously, I always encourage people to tr to look around, get other information. But I also, after years, I think I'm on 22 years of teaching, working with, you know, teens, I recognize that's a difficult skill. We've alluded to this before. Being able to weed through information and recognize what good information is, what bad information is, a lot of people struggle. A lot of adults struggle with this. I talk to adults who they'll pull up something that they saw on Facebook, go, yeah, look at this, and it's totally fake, but they have no way of recognizing it's fake. And then you get into this debate. You understand that that's not real, right? And you show them how you would look it up to search it, all that stuff. I understood that people struggle with that, but I wanted to be a place that people could go to and go, hey, you know what? This guy has no ulterior motives. I didn't do this. One thing I did not do this for was popularity. I could care less. I really could care less. It's it, The only thing that would good that would come from being more popular is that people would be more inclined to listen to you. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I wasn't doing this to make money. I'm not doing this to sell cars coffee or rum or any of that stuff that goes with great for people that do that. That's not what I went into this for. Again, it's been an extension of my teaching. So when I sat down with my goals, my hopes was that people would be able to come here, that I would get enough of a reputation in the hobby that people would go, Hey, you want some good info? Check out Tom's big spire stuff. There's no BS. He's got the, he's always updating his info. He answers comments on YouTube. So if you have a question, you can get it. 
I tried to, as I got more into it, obviously we started with the website and I know darn well, a lot of people don't want to read. If you say, Hey, you've got a C kind of pubescence. Here is a 1500 word article with everything I know about raising it. There are going to be folks out there and I'm not judging at all. I want to make this very, very clear who just don't have either the attention span or the ability to go out and read that whole thing. No matter what grade level I produce it at, they're just not going to be able to get the information that way. So that's why I eventually moved over into YouTube because I was finding that I was writing these articles and some folks were still struggling with them. So I'm like, you know what? Let me, instead of telling them, let me show them. And that's why we did YouTube. And then I started doing the comments on YouTube so folks could get it. You know, you're hearing it, you're watching it, and now you got comments, you can pause it, you can jot down some notes. And then finally, a lot of folks will listen to audio while they work. So they don't maybe have time to sit down and watch all the YouTube videos because that's obviously, you can't sit there and feed spiders and watch the whole thing, what's going on. However, you can listen to it and you get the information that way. So my hope was to go through, give folks a place they go to, easy, easy to understand information, thorough information. I try to cover everything anybody could possibly ask and present it in a way where there's text, there's audio, there's video, there's notes so that anybody could jump right in and keep these animals correctly. Because at the end of the day, and this is going to sound horrible, I don't do this so much for the keepers as I do it for the animals because it, 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 it enrages me when I see people picking up animals. And this isn't just everything I'm about to talk about isn't just a problem with the tarantula hobby. It's any hobby that involves animals, anything that involves living creatures that you're responsible for. So that was my hope. And I do think one thing I will say, and I'm very proud of this, I'm not somebody that sits there, I don't run around like I'm amazing. I don't. I, I struggle with receiving comments. I, anybody that's ever met me in person, a few people, I'm incredibly awkward when folks come up and start gushing. It just makes me uncomfortable. It's not we'll get into it. It's not how it was raised. Like I, I'm more like one of those ones that just, I I'm self-driven. I recognize that folks are using my information. I've done something right. When my name comes up and they're like, where, where's the best place to get information? Every once in a while, Billy will forward me one of these on Facebook and people are like Tom's big spiders, Tom's big spiders. Believe me, I appreciate that because that's what I'm working towards. However, all those years ago, decade ago, when I sat down and came up with, this is what we're going to be doing here. I underestimated a couple key factors that I think has, again, it's just as you spend more time, it is what it is. I can't change any of this. It's never going to get any better, but it's something that does become frustrating. So the one thing I am going to say today is some of this is going to be reflecting on these issues and some of it's going to be me using you guys as my therapist because that's one of the best things I've gotten back from the podcast is the fact it allows me to speak frankly to people that I know respect where I'm coming from. And I always try to keep things positive and I'll obviously try to put a positive spin on this, but it's, there's some negativity that I have to deal with that sometimes wears on me a bit. So one of the things I underestimated right off the bat is the amount of noise there is out there with social media. Social media is a, a very double-edged sword. It allows people to get out there and get their information to other people in ways that we never had when I was a kid. Like we weren't able to hop online 
and vent about something and have a bunch of people come back and vent with us or hop online and go how to do this and have a bunch of people come up. You weren't able to do that back then, back in the olden days. But that's a big thing now for good or bad because I think when we have a good, something good, it helps to spread that good information. However, when we have bad information, we have people that aren't necessarily in it for the hobby that amass a lot of popularity, it puts us in a very a bad situation, a terrible situation wherein they become the largest voices out there and they're not necessarily the ones people should be listening to. So unfortunately, I'm not, and I want to make this clear, I'm not saying there aren't good folks out there producing good instructional content for the right reasons. I've worked with a lot of people over the years because I think what comes with the tarantula hobby you, a lot of folks find the tarantula hobby through YouTube, through these famous YouTubers, the content creators, and then they decide, they get a bunch of spiders and they go, you know what, I can do this. And they start producing content. And unfortunately, a lot of them emulate people that probably shouldn't be emulated. And unfortunately, to get really big in this hobby, you, it's tough to do it in a way where you're just focusing on these are the spiders, this is how you raise them, this is the correct way to do it. Clickbait reigns supreme. If you can put something out there with, you know, Tom can put out, hey, I just rehoused four OBTs calmly. If somebody else comes on, my OBT is crazy, it ate my face, it killed my neighbor, it jumped out, all this clickbaity stuff, people are going to be all over that. They want to see the train wreck. So unfortunately, that gives them more power when it comes to social media because I've had many, and what kind of brought this up is I've had it happen twice this week where somebody contacted me with their information. I said, hey, I I don't know where you got your info from, but that's not what I would recommend. Here is what I would recommend. And they came back, well, I got this from so-and-so. I'm not going to use the names. It was two different YouTubers. And one of them was like, well, he has millions of subscribers, so I'm going to probably, I would rather listen to him because he knows what he's talking about. And that's sad. That's sad. and, And it doesn't impact me I have the wherewithal to recognize why this happened. So it's not like I sit there and go, oh, but it's frustrating because it's like, wow, I don't care how many million subscribers he has. His information sucks. <laughs> like he can't keep these things correctly. He's always screwing up and then people forgive him. And it, it, a lot of folks, I will say a lot of folks will turn around and eventually, and I love this when they go, hey, this individual brought me into the hobby, but after a while, I found your stuff and realized how wrong this stuff was. And I'm not putting myself up to put people down. It's just, I want them to keep them correctly. And if you don't watch the correct people, there's a chance you're not going to keep them correctly. Or you're going to have a situation where, and this one drives me nuts too, people lose spiders and they go, oh, I lose spiders all the time. I watch this individual on YouTube and they lose spiders all the time and they don't know what's going on. And I go and watch the videos and it's like, yeah, they're not providing them with adequate water. The enclosure aren't right. They're not taking the needs of the spider into consideration, things of that nature. That's just the nature of the beast. That's just how it's going to be. It's never going to change. It's just how things work. It's like back in the day, I was talking to Billy about it. It reminded me of when you had the crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin, who I loved and adored. Don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. However, there was also Jeff Corwin was another one that did nature stuff. And I always liked Jeff Corwin because Although he wasn't out there handling the things and putting himself in dangerous positions with the animals, he obviously knew what he was talking about and he treated them with the utmost, these animals with the utmost respect. And I don't think he was ever nearly as popular as Steve Irwin because of that, because he wasn't putting himself in harm's way. He wasn't doing things that many of us would consider to be irresponsible with the animals. That's kind of, it's always been like that. So I understand that. This isn't a woe is me. I'm fine with it, but it is a reality that I didn't know about when I started coming up with these goals. Do I think I have a good name for myself in the hobby? I do. I think I've done a pretty good job, but am I a small voice in the grand 
landscape of social media? Yes, I'm not. I've still, yesterday I had some guy come on and go, man, I've never even heard of you before. This is fantastic. And part of me was like, oh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing this a long time. And he mentioned somebody that hadn't been doing it that long. But that's when you realized it. Unfortunately, it's just the way things work. So it's, it, again, this is me kind of venting, but me recognizing some of the issues we have in the hobby. That's the way it is with this social media, with the animal tubing, or whatever they're calling it now, pet tube. Uh, so I hate being, uh, Tom's a good pet tuber. Please don't ever call me a pet tuber. I hate that. That's just the way things work. Now, the other thing, and this falls in line with Charlotte's comment where, you know, we come up with these things like, hey, it's very simple. If the abdomen is as big as a carapace, don't feed it. New people are very skeptical of information. And I don't think folks realize just... It's weird because on one hand, we say they'll take the first thing that pops up on when they do a Google search and they'll run with it. And on the other hand, you get the ones that don't believe anything, even when they go to somebody that they supposedly trust. So what I mean by that is many people will blatantly ignore information, even when it's spoon fed to them. And this has been something that has bothered me for quite some time. Poor Billy. I told you she's like my therapist here. When we go on walks, every time I do a podcast, we'll probably talk about it this morning. I do my podcast on Sunday mornings. I load the whole thing up and then we go walk the dogs, go for a couple mile walk up and down our street. And she usually asks, what'd you do the podcast on today? And this has been something that's popped up a couple times because I've had three very frustrating interactions in the past week that really do a good job illustrating the fact that no matter how much, and I realize this now, but it still kills me, no matter how much I try to streamline my videos to be short and sweet, no matter how much I try to cram every bit of information I can think of about how I raise this animal, including including using my own experiences and anecdotes, I can have pictures, I can show what I'm putting them in, I can show how I moisten the substrate, I can, all of this stuff, people will still watch this and go, hey, how do you take care of them? And it kills me sometimes because it's like, why am I bothering to do this? Now, obviously, why am I bothering to do this? I'm, I'm sure a lot of you folks listening out there right now are the ones that I, why I continue to do this, because there are a lot of folks that listen, they take the advice, they run with it, they only ask me questions after they've watched the material, and they don't see something that's answered in there. I do my best every time I do a video or article to make sure I cover every single aspect that I can think of when I did my tarantulas, raising tarantula slings. I agonized over that for so long to try to think of how to cover every possible situation. And I'm happy to report that for the most part, I think I did. It's been up for years now and I don't get many questions like, hey, you didn't cover this, which has been great. Or if I do, it's somebody that didn't bother to watch the video. So I I do try to cover that. That's why it's sometimes so frustrating when folks will come up and then ask a question afterwards that was already covered. So for an example... Very recently, I was contacted by somebody who it was via email, and they said, "Hey, Tom." And I, this this is the part that gets me because it's like I'm gonna know you're lying right away. Hey, Tom, absolutely love your stuff. Thanks so much for all you do to the hobby. I always you're my go-to when I need information. Awesome, fantastic. Thank you. I'm I'm glad it's helpful. That's that's the best compliment ever. It, it just that the stuff I'm putting out there is helpful. And then they followed it up with this. I have a GBB, I think it was a juvenile. It was in one of those acrylic enclosures. I have three inches of moist substrate. I have a water dish. I've been misting it down once a week. It isn't eating. It's all crumpled up in the corner. It hasn't molted. It isn't webbing. What's wrong with my spider? And then they, I mean, I'm reading this and hopefully those of you that know your GBB care immediately recognize what's wrong with this picture. 
And then I open up the photos they sent, and there is the acrylic cage with condensation by the substrate line, obviously quite moist. The spider underneath like a cork bark and the decorations they had all scrunched up, probably very close to dying because they're keeping it too moist. These are the things that eat away at me because this person referenced my GBB video. I watched your video on it. I can't figure out what's wrong, except I went back and rewatched the video, and I clearly state these are one of the few animals that you keep dry as slings. Like, I keep them on the drier side. So, for example, I give them a moist corner. I sprinkle water on the webbing, or I keep their water dish full, and that's perfectly fine. You do not. I've explained this story a million times. I think I explained it in the video, at least one of my videos. I've done a few GBB videos that when I first got into the hobby, these guys were out. Everybody said they were very difficult to keep. They were dropping like flies. It was because people were keeping them too moist. Now, he has them in an enclosure that doesn't offer a heck of a lot of cross-ventilation. It had ventilation, but obviously not enough. It had condensation, which wouldn't be good for a moisture-dependent species, and it's a spider that most of us recognize needs to be kept on the drier side. What do you do with that? How do you respond to that? And I will admit it. There are times when I fire off the email that I would like to send, and it's not very nice. It would make me probably a pretty crappy person, but it's the one like, A, don't tell me you're listening to my stuff when you obviously didn't listen to a word I said in the video. B, maybe you shouldn't keep a spider if you can't understand basic. Like, it's things like that. And then I delete it all. And then I try to fire back some because at the end of the day, I don't care about this individual right now. What I care about is the poor spider that's suffering. That's, I hate to say it, that's it. I'm not a fan of people in general. And when people do illogical things, it really irritates me. So that's usually how I approach it. How can I be nice, be sweet? And kindly say to the person, and I did put something in there like, I'm kind of surprised that you watch my videos because in the videos, I clearly state you do not need to keep these guys humid or moist. That's actually bad for them. So I did respond back, never heard anything back, not a thank you, not a hey. So I think some people get embarrassed, but I did keep it very, very polite. But those, that's an example of the stuff that when you spoon feed some, I went back and rewatched the video that they have all my GBB videos. And I'm like, it's pretty clear. And I've had a lot of, I, it, this is evidenced by the fact that I've had a lot of folks use these videos and tell me they use these videos to set them up and raise up happy, healthy adult GBBs. So that's one example. Second example, and this one I think you'll see right away. It was on one of my, uh, it was on a Carabina Versicolor video, I believe. Thank you for sharing. I just bought an avicularia about three weeks ago. She is, I'll leave the species out, but it's an avicularia species. Beautiful little baby. Anyways, I have a humidity reader in the enclosure, but I'm not sure what is a good humidity for them since you said not too much. Do you have a number to be in between or do you just eyeball it? I overfilled her water dish a little, and the humidity is around 55 to 65%, which is not what it recommends when I look it up. I'll stop reading here because it's frustrating me to read it again. So you watch the video in which I clearly state, keep the substrate mostly dry. You can moisten the corner. You can overflow the water dish. Give them a water dish. Good ventilation, that's the key to keeping avicularias happy. And I'll tell you, the species that she's raising tends to be one of the trickier ones. I, it drives me nuts when the beginners get them because they tend to kill them very, very quickly. But 
how do you go and watch the video where I clearly say this is the trick to keeping a vicularia and just ignore it? Like if you don't, and, and here's my thing. I said this to Billy yesterday when we were walking. I'm like, it would almost be, I, I almost see like if you're not, if you don't value my opinion, if you don't value my experience, that's fine. Don't ask me. Ask somebody who's keeping these things humid. Ask somebody who has, who uses hygrometers in their enclosures. Ask somebody that has their ideal humidity because it drives me up. There's some folks out there, good folks that know how to do it. But as soon as you throw out the ideal temperature and ideal humidity, I'm sorry, you've screwed over a lot of people because now they fuss over it. Now they freak out. Uh, now you get the emails. Hey, Tom, I don't know what's going on with my avicularia. The humidity in its closure dropped to 60%. So I added a bunch of water and it's at 90% now, but now it's sluggish. Yep. You're killing your spider. How do you respond to those? It's so frustrating. And again, I hope this isn't coming across as whiny. It's just, again, you guys are my therapist today, but it's something that I underestimated because I thought that if I put something out, there, especially at this late stage in the game where I've been doing it almost a decade, that people would go, wow, this guy's been around a long time. Folks seem to appreciate what he's doing. I'm going to listen to him instead of, hey, I know you just said, don't worry about the humidity, but what's the ideal humidity for these guys? <sighs> so I, I politely said, you know, throw away your hygrometer. You don't need it. Keep the water dish full, nice big water dish. Make sure there's plenty of cross ventilation. If you want to keep part of the substrate moist, overflow the water dish, let it dry out between. It'll be fine. You can mist a little bit when you feed. They will drink off the walls, but that's it. Never got back to me. Not thank you, whatever. It's it's typical, but that's another example of somebody, and this happens so much. I can't even tell you. Somebody came on one of the videos two weeks ago where it was a care video, one of my ones where I spend a lot of time going through each. I show examples of what to put them in, and they went, hey, great video, awesome information. So can you give me some tips on how to keep these? Yes, I did. It was in the 12-minute video that you apparently didn't watch. How do you deal with that? But again, it's human nature. I don't know. What scares me is I don't know what... what sometimes they just want to hear from a human being. I do understand that. But on the other hand, when you have somebody that puts something together that's that thorough and you're not bothering to listen to it, you just want them to tell you in a quick little comment, you don't belong in the hobby. You don't belong keeping animals because you don't have... Whatever it is, the skills, the processing power, and I'm not saying this in a mean way. I'm just saying it's the honest God truth. You don't have what it takes to make sure this animal is cared for correctly. And again, it doesn't just apply to spiders. I have obviously four dogs. I've had just had conversations with people about they were doing something with their dog that I don't agree with at all. And we're not talking about, you know, something that's debatable. It, it was it was terrible. And when I talked to them, they're like, well, I, I appreciate that, but I don't know if you're as experienced as this guy I saw on TikTok. And like, all right, we're done. We're out. It's it's across the board. So I don't want to make it like this is a tarantula hobby exclusive issue. It's not. Snakes, reptiles, fish, you name it. There are people out there that unfortunately just shouldn't be responsible for taking care of live animals because they just don't have what it takes to ensure that they're cared for correctly. They're not able to get the information. They're not able to trust. They disregard good information. They use bad information. It's just the nature of the beast. And then one more anecdote that I figure people will get a kick out of. As you guys all know, obviously, I'm a teacher, and I've had folks ask many times, do my kids know I keep tarantulas? The majority of them do. I, I shared the story where I was talking to a class. It was the beginning of the school year, and we're talking about ourselves, and we're asking about hobbies. And I just threw it out there because everybody, all the older kids know, and they usually tell the younger kids, the freshmen, when they come in. So I said, yeah, I, I actually have a huge tarantula spider collection, was talking about it. And one of the kids in my class looked at me and went, 
he's got to have a YouTube channel. And immediately opened up his Chromebook, did a search, and within a minute found my YouTube channel, which I thought was hilarious because like, who immediately jumps to that conclusion? But he was right. So everybody knows this. So I was talking. My kids know. The majority of them know. I've always told them, if you ever get into tarantulas, please let me know. I'd be happy to help you make sure the animal's set up correctly. Well, one young lady that I've had now, this is my third year having her. She's been very interested in tarantulas all along. She tells us, it tells me before break, I picked up a tarantula. I broke up my boyfriend, but I picked up a tarantula. So I'm like, oh, sorry about the boyfriend, but you got a tarantula. That's awesome. What species you get? I don't know. Well, what does it look like? It's blue. So now I'm immediately thinking, oh gosh, did she get a P. metallica? What does she got? Cobalt blue? Like, what did she pick up? So I said, can you, do you have any pictures of it? No, I don't have any pictures of it. I said, well, take a picture of it. And I'd be happy to help you set it up. I said, where did you get it? I got it from a pet store. Oh boy. Here we go. Pet store. Did they tell you how to care for it? Yep. They gave me everything I need. What do you got? I got this plastic cage. Does it have good ventilation? Yep. It has ventilation. It has these like mesh vents. I'm like, okay, right there's a problem. They can chew through mesh vents. Well, that's what they told me they needed. I go, well, that may be what the pet stores told you. I said, but unfortunately, pet stores don't, a lot of people at pet stores don't know how to keep these things. Well, I, I'm sure they do. They're selling them. Okay. No, they don't. So we got in, it's, it was, this has been a unique situation because normally when I have these interactions with people, they're online through comments, through emails, I've never experienced this in person with somebody I had face-to-face contact with. It was weird. And somebody I would like to think after years of me teaching her recognizes that I know what I'm talking about. So long story short, I tried to get her. I was like, listen, let me get a picture of the enclosure. Let me make sure that it's set up correctly because you obviously want this spider to do well. So finally, she comes to me and she's like, yeah, I don't know what's going on with my spider. It's not eating. Did you get me a picture? No, but I talked to a friend of my mom's keeps some tarantulas and he told me it's nothing to worry about, that it's probably just not hungry or whatever. I said, okay, but if you get me some pictures, I can tell you if it's primo, whatever. And she's like, Mr. Morant, he obviously keeps tarantulas. He knows what he's talking about. He knows as much as you do. Now, I feel like I'm going to feel like a jerk admitting this, but I'm like, I've done this for 10 years. Like I, I, I help people all over the world with tarantula care. And you're telling me some friend of your mom's who she didn't, they didn't even know the, the scientific name of the spider. The guy didn't know what it was. Like he didn't, she, he was the one he, she asked, what is a scientific name? He's like, I don't know scientific names. So again, not judging, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if you're not familiar with scientific names, you're probably not having been in the hobby all that long. She was going to take his information over mine. And then suddenly it became very clear. It's like, this is the issue. This is it. You have like, this young lady has somebody that has been doing this, has made it, they're kind of their life's work to make sure people got good information about tarantulas and you're reluctant to use them or to listen to what they have to say. It was an eye opener for me. And are all my kids like this? No, but I have another one that he got one. He set it up. He gave me pictures. We set it up appropriately. It was fantastic. But here's an example of what I see as one of the biggest issues in the tarantula hobby. All of this information, all the information's out there, guys. All the, and, you, and the sad part is this is not the audience that needs to be hearing this. I'm assuming the majority of folks are spending this much time listening to me drone on about tarantulas each and every week. You're probably great. But I will say you guys are going to interact with these people. And this is where we all kind of need to be on the same page because it's tricky. And I've had folks go, how do you do this? I'm on the boards. I'm on Facebook groups. And nobody listens. And they ignore you. And they tell you, no, that isn't the right information because this person, I know it's frustrating. Frustrating. I get frustrated, but I also realize that if I lose it and tell people off and go, you shouldn't be keeping these animals in the first place because you just don't have it. You don't have what it takes to keep them. 
I'm just going to lose people and they're going to end up with dead spiders. So the trick is to try to rope them in and get them to think, you know, to recognize that your information is good to sometimes you help them out a little bit. They, you tell them something, it works and they come back because they're like, all right, he told me this tip it worked. Now I'm going to listen to him. But the scary part about the hobby, and I've said this a million times, I shouldn't have a job, quote unquote, a job. It's not a job. I don't get money from it, but I mean, I shouldn't even have to do any of this stuff. I should have been able to quit a long time ago because all the good information is out there. It's just a clouded by people who shouldn't be giving information by people that are spending more time trying to get popular and show the spiders at their worst to get clicks. Those are the ones that are getting all the views. So people are looking at how they keep them and ignoring the correct way to do it. And I think the other way is just some people in general really struggle with recognizing and accepting good advice. They can't let it go. They read something, they cling to it. I don't care. I can't tell you the humidity thing keeps popping up for me. And I always have to bite my tongue because I'll have people go, yeah, you said in the video, do this, keep part of the substrate moist, fill the water dish. But what humidity should I be looking for? You shouldn't. The reason why we don't talk about humidity, it's not that humidity isn't involved. It's not that they don't need, some of them don't need that moisture. It's more to keep those book lungs from drying out. So when they're on a humid substrate or in their burrows, the humidity inside that burrow keeps those book lungs from drying out. That's what we're really trying to do. And then as far as moisture, they need moisture to molt. They need that fluid to pump in between the old the old exoskeleton and new exoskeleton to get it off of them. And guess what, guys? They're not sponges. They don't absorb that moisture from the environment. It's I love when folks are like, hey, my spider is about to molt, so I'm spraying everything down around it. It's too late. It needed moisture before that. And guess what? Guess what the best way to get moisture is? A water dish. Or if it's a webbing species like the GBB. You, you miss the enclosure a little bit or squirt some water on that webbing. It'll come right out and drink from it. It's not rocket science, folks. It's out there. All the information is out there. Everything we need to keep our spiders safe and healthy is out there. But the things that tend to get in the way of it, sometimes it's just basic human nature. It's, it's people will people. I've used that probably a hundred, if not more times on the podcast when talking about my issue. My issue is never the animals. I've never had a single issue as far as caring for them. I should say it like that, but you know what I'm saying. Like Animals are easy to care for. Tarantulas are very easy to care for. The difficult part for me is the people. Trying to get folks to recognize what good info is. Trying to get folks to recognize that if you spend the time watching a video, I think some of them don't bother watching them. Let's call it as it is. But if you're coming on saying, hey, I'm a huge fan of your work. I listen to all your podcasts. I listen to your videos. And then you ask me a question that I've just covered then we have a problem. Something's wrong there. Maybe you shouldn't be keeping these guys because you're just, you're struggling to get that information. And I'm not judging people. I want to make that very, very clear. It's just the reality that some people are better than others at being able to assimilate information, to take in, to read, to watch, to listen, and take that and get it in their brains and then to apply it to their husbandry. That's a trick. That's that higher order thinking. And, and some folks struggle with it. However, I think another issue and one of the worst in the hobby, as far as keepers are concerned, is just laziness. I have a spider. I bought it. Now I'm going to go do the research, and I want you to tell me everything I need now because I don't feel like doing it. That's laziness. That's that's um, as far as I'm concerned. We can fix other things. I have no problem helping people that maybe struggle to take that material and apply it or to understand it in a way that they can apply it. I get that. That's I teach. Believe me. 
What I can't get is laziness. The lazy, yeah, you just made a video. I can't even muster up the attention span to watch this video. You tell me how to take care of this. No. Why don't you sell your animal because you're too damn lazy to care for it correctly? That's honestly how I feel. And that's when I see some of these comments, it strikes me as laziness. If somebody comes on a video and goes, hey, Here's, here's how I would love the, 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 here's the ones that I don't mind. Hey, I've just read all this stuff that said avicularia species need high humidity, but I'm watching your video and you're saying they don't. Could you explain this? That's a great question. That's like, hey, I watched it and you're telling me stuff that's scaring me because it's not what I've heard. That's an awesome question. There's a difference between that and hey, I just watched the video. I saw that you said, don't worry about humidity. What humidity do I, do I need to keep these at? That tells me one of two things. Either you didn't watch the video. In which case, that's laziness. Or B, you watch the video, you heard what I had to say, you completely disregarded it, and you don't value my opinion, which is fine. You're, I've told people, don't just take my word for it. Look other places. Ask other people. I get my information from everybody. I'm always out looking for new information. Every time I go to put, and this is something I don't know if I've talked about before, every time I do a husbandry video on an animal or a particular species, I do a search and go on a rack and boards, go on Facebook groups. I look to see, is anything has anything changed? Because I'm not looking, once I got a, a, something down, I'm not looking for new information. But I'm always on the lookout for somebody comes up with some new, like says, hey, you know what? I found they do better this way. An example of this is with the centipedes. I kept Scolopendra dahani. I kept them a certain way. We got the new Scolopendra galapagoensis. And I'm like, you know what? Let me double check my care and found out there was different ways to keep them, that people are, are starting to experiment with different ways that they think are better. That's what I try to do every single time. So that's why when I say I try to keep myself as, as up to date and current as possible, that's what I'm saying. I check it out. But I always implore people, go out and look elsewhere. However, if you watch a video, if you listen to a podcast, I lay everything out and then you turn around and go, okay, can you tell me how to keep it? Forget it. You're, you're done. Come on. That's the part that kind of kills me, the, the laziness and the hobby. So it's, again, not exclusive to tarantulas. I'd love for folks to chime in, that those of you that are in other hobbies, the same type of stuff you see. I think that the majority of us out there, I think anybody, again, that's listening to this right now, or is a true, I hate to use the word fan because I'm not doing this for fans, but is truly appreciates what I do and what I'm trying to do, then I think this isn't something that bothers any of you because you guys know. And again, that's not to... I, there's, I agree that there's no, usually no such thing as a stupid question. The only time that gets put to the test is when somebody tells you something flat out, spells it out for you, puts notes, shows you how to do it, and you turn around and ask about what they just showed you. That's a little, if you ask clarifying questions, that's one thing. If you come out and just say, hey, tell me how to keep the spider after I just watched a video with you telling me everything you knew about keeping the spider, that's an issue. So, 10 years in, that's the one thing that I think I underestimated. The fact that although I think I put out good stuff, although I try to put out current stuff, it's never going to end. There was always, I remember telling Billy at one point, and this is the honest God truth. I said, if I, if I got accepted on arachnoboards, the people on arachnoboards, because notoriously at this time, anytime somebody brought up a YouTuber on arachnoboards, they got skewered. They got destroyed. It was just post after post, these people just do it for views. But when I saw that folks were sharing my information on arachnoboards and some of the, the big guns on arachnoboards, some of them reluctantly were saying, yeah, he doesn't seem to be doing the same thing the other people are doing. He, he seems to have good information. That meant the world to me because those are the people that I'm trying to, you know, those are the ones that I respect, the ones that's where I go for information a lot when I need it. And that felt really good. And 
after that, my I remember telling Billy, like, now that I've got the acceptance of, of folks, hopefully there'll come a day where I won't have to do this anymore. I won't have to answer these questions because people will recognize, hey, he's already covered it. He's done it. And I realize that day is never going to come. It'll go to the point where I finally go, all right, I'm done. I've, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. I don't know if it's because I'm too frustrated or if it's because it's just I've got other things going on. Or sometimes it'd just be nice to just be able to work my tarantulas and not have to sit there and get up every weekend morning and do a video right about who knows. I'm not there yet. But there will come a day where I'm like, hey, it's over. We're done. I realize that my dent may be fleeting. Like that it won't be like years down the road. People are like, oh, Tom Moran, his, his information is still good. I realize that that's never going to happen. There's always going to be those folks that just, no matter how much you try to spoon feed, they either don't get it or are too lazy to bother listening to it or read it. I will recognize that there will always be folks out there that are just more popular in the social media landscape that are going to attract folks to the hobby, which is good, but also teach them these bad habits, techniques, ideas. They don't need water dishes. They can be kept dry. They can be kept in this. They, you know, Look at it. If I pour water on it, it gets pissy and tries to attack. All that stuff. Uh, it's, sadly, that stuff isn't going anywhere. And it's going to, unfortunately, they're going to reach more people than somebody like me is going to reach for the most part. So it, it is what it is. But I, again, I just felt like uh, with my whole, and I am thinking of I'm not the type of person that wants to do like, hey, look at like I, with YouTube. Everybody was like, oh, you got 5,000 subscribers. Are you going to do something? No. You got 10,000 subscribers. Are you going to do something to celebrate? No. I may do some with Tom's Big Spiders only because I, I have to admit I'm pretty proud that I've stuck with it this long and I'm pretty proud of what I've managed to accomplish in 10 years. I mean, of all the things I thought I'd do years ago, I thought I was going to be a famous writer and illustrator. If you had told me when I was 20, hey, guess what? It's not going to be writing and illustrating that's really going to make it a name for you. You're going to write about spiders and taking care of tarantulas. I would have laughed in your face. But here we are. And it's it's been a fun ride. It's been a great ride. I want to say it like I'm going anywhere. I'm not. But it was something I just felt like I needed to reflect on as I'm looking at 10 years. And I think there'll be some reminiscing as we move ahead. And I think I may actually do something for the 10th anniversary. Who knows? Maybe a video, maybe a podcast. I was thinking it would be fun because what I'm proud of as far as you know, what I've done is just how we've grown the channel over the years and how we've improved the channel. Because when you look at my early stuff, it's terrible. It's awful. I don't know how I ever got any audience on YouTube because my early stuff was just grainy. I couldn't talk articulate. It was just awful. But to be able to look back at that and laugh, I think that's the only way I do it is it was kind of comical and just kind of a fun way to for me to reminisce because it has been a huge part of my life. And as far as today's podcast, I really hope that it didn't come across as bitter it's not it's again i i i see it as just it is what it is it's the nature of human beings it's the nature of doing something publicly where you're talking to a lot of people the vast majority of folks i talk to and let me put this in there for anybody right now that's sitting there going man you just in front of everybody that goes to him for information no the vast majority of you folks are amazing the vast majority of folks I love hearing from you come with great questions. If you ask a question, it's, hey, I looked at that. Could you clarify? I love that because that makes me better as somebody who's a teacher, who's teaching. When I realize where I might have overlooked something, where I might have said something that wasn't clear, where I might have presented something in a way that wasn't clear or sent the wrong message. Um, An example of this, the other day I did the OBT video. And as I was doing the OBT video, I had them in the cup and I was kind of carefully allowing the contents of the cup to slide out. 
And somebody brought up, hey, you didn't mention the fact that you weren't just dumping these cups out with the spiders in them, which could cause them harm. You were carefully doing it. Somebody might see that the wrong way. That's a great piece of feedback because I never want anybody to go, well, Tom just takes his deli cups and dumps them into the new. That wasn't what I was doing. Stuff like that's amazing. So please don't think that. I hope this isn't doesn't come across as negative. I hope it comes across as just me doing some introspective thinking and where we've come, how far we've come, and then the the obstacles that are never going to go away. I think part of me being able to do this as long as I have comes with the fact that I recognize that there's certain things that just aren't going to change. And these are two, the, the two things I covered here today are just that it is what it is. And you need to be able to recognize that to continue to go forward. Because if I really got into my head that I was going to completely change everybody to that they would just watch my video and go, thanks, Tom, you have everything I need to know. Or that they weren't going to come to me and go, hey, you said this, but this other guy with more views is going to do that. Uh, if I thought for a minute that I was going to be able to change any of that, it, I would be kidding myself. It would be delusional and it would run me into the ground very quickly. So... And again, I thank each and every one of you out there who have listened to this, whether you're driving to work in the morning, whether you're feeding your spiders, whatever it is you're doing, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate moments like these where although you're not sitting in the room with me, although we're not talking to each other directly, I feel like people are listening. I feel people nodding their heads and it feels good and it's good. It's like my therapy. So thank you for being my therapist this morning or this afternoon or this evening. I truly appreciate it. That will do it for this one. Uh, the YouTube, I did not post. Usually I've been doing a full video every other week. I did not do one yet this weekend. I'm thinking about putting one together about feeding where I go through. Billy and I will feed some spiders and show how I tell whether or not a spider needs to be fed or not and pretend like people are going to watch that and listen. Again, like Charlotte said, you know, it seems very easy on the surface, but people are reluctant to listen to information they get, but we'll see. I did post up a YouTube short featuring my Zenestis species bright. I took out the enclosure the other day and immediately I looked through its uh, sterilite. So it was milky and all I could see is a spider stretch. I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing bolted. I, I couldn't wait for them all. But as I picked it up, I saw its pedipalps recognized it was a mature male. And for a split second, I was like, oh, and then I opened the enclosure and my aunt turned to, oh, like the angels singing. It's glorious. It's like fuchsia and purple. and It's so many colors and so bright. And you don't even have to mess with the levels to make it look bright because it was just that darn pink, purple, fuchsia, whatever. I love purple spiders. Stunning. To date, before this spider, the most gorgeous male I have ever seen was my Pamphibedia species Duran. Unfortunately, this was back in the early days of Tom's Big Spiders, where it looked like I was shooting it on like 8mm. It was off so grainy and so blah. You can't see the colors. You can just kind of see some of the fuchsia and the pinks. This one, I think, has got it beat. It is stunning. Absolutely one of the most beautiful animals I have ever seen. Uh, I hate to say it, like for Mictibus species purple, for a female, probably the most beautiful purple spider I've ever seen, but for a male, this one goes above and beyond. So if you want to check that one out, it's just a short little video where I show it off. Um, luckily, nobody yet's come on with it. Well, every time I do one of these, it's funny. People love their blue spiders. I love blue spiders, don't get me wrong, but in the grand scheme of things, you've been in the hobby long enough, you realize blue isn't as rare as many will think. There are a lot of beautiful blue spiders out there. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, purple, there aren't as many purple ones unless you get into the males for a lot of species. So to see those purple spiders is something special, but there's always somebody that comes on 
and will go, you think that's pretty? And then they'll send me a picture of a P. Metallica that they jack the levels up to the point where this P. Metallica is probably radioactive if it really exists. And it's like, that's fantastic. Yes, I love P. Metallica. Yes, they are stunning. However, you jacked up the levels on it so much, it doesn't even look like the real animal. So luckily nobody's done that yet. I'm sure it's coming though. It's uh, again, thanks guys. I'm just... I'm purging myself of all my little pet peeves today, but that's one that usually drives me nuts. Like, hey, your blue spider can be beautiful, but look at this one. It's pink. It's purple. It's got all colors you don't usually see on spiders. I had some freshmen, new group of freshmen this week, and I actually broke the picture out for a class. I'm like, they're like, mister, you have spiders? I'm like, hold on. Let me show you this one that just molted. And it was the fastest I've ever had a group of kids become interested in the hobby. Because normally there's somebody saying, burn your house down. The teens will be teens. There's somebody saying, kill it. In this case, immediately one was like, I don't like spiders. That's beautiful. And somebody else was like, wow. So he's like, I don't want to see it. And then they looked over and like, that's a spider. How big is it? And then we had an excellent discussion about it. Nobody talked about killing them. Nobody talked about, I would never want to go in your house. How does your wife not throw you out? Do they all run? It was a wonderful discussion. So it just shows you how some of these images of these beautiful specimens can really win people over and unlock that curiosity. The fear, the loathing dissipates. And then suddenly it's more just, wait, they can be that color? Now this is fascinating to me. So, yep, that's up on YouTube. Hopefully Billy and I can do something with this feeding video. I just the only reason we have a three-day weekend, so maybe I can start. It's going to be a longer one to edit because I think I have a lot to say, especially after the last podcast where we had a lot of opinions. So we'll see how it goes. That will do it for this one. As always, you can find me. You can leave a comment on Spotify, which is great because you know Spotify is fantastic. I'm, I love that we're getting a big audience over there. Just made me feel official. Made me feel like I'm like I'm 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 legit. I don't know if that makes any sense, but although now they have spot back when I got on, you had to be approved by Spotify. Now I think they have a Spotify podcast where you can just immediately do it. But it was always exciting for me to know that like when I even when I told my kids, yeah, I have a podcast on Spotify. Like, ooh, Spotify. I don't think it really means all that much, but it's kind of cool. Anyway, you can leave comments over there. TomSpeaksPlayersPodcast.com. Guys, have a fantastic weekend. If you have a three-day weekend, enjoy it. We'll catch you all next time.